We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Welcome back to our Bible study. If you would turn your Bible to Matthew 19 again, Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to come to a f- seemingly familiar passage of Scripture tonight, but it's not perhaps as familiar as you might think. Um, Let's see about it. Matthew 19, verse 13. It says, Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and then it says, And departed from there. As he ministers, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord instructs his disciples not to treat children like a nuisance, at least that much. And what I'm say, when I say as he ministers, in my, thought, in my mind is this thought that he just, as, as, that the, as the course of life unfolds and he's ministering and naturally these things happen, he's using those as teaching opportunities for the disciples. So he says, instead of treating them like a, a nuisance, bless them. More importantly, he takes the opportunity to remind his audience that a childlike faith is the distinguishing mark of heavenly citizens. Without that, you're a child of the devil, not a child of the kingdom. So the Lord's care for children is the subject, and uh, I put the truth here in the message notes as God cares for children who are like God's children. But don't say that phrase that all the children are God, you know, all of us are God's children, by that, the universalist means everybody's saved. We're all God's children. Uh, you know, don't judge anybody because they're, they're fine and all that. That's not the truth. Uh, God cares for his children, for children in this earth who are like God's spiritual children is the meaning of that phrase. Now, contrast this paragraph that we read with what we looked at in chapter 18, 1 to 11. And let me just... Uh, remind you that in that section, the disciples said, you know, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus called a little child to him. That's different because here the parents were bringing the children to Jesus. In this case, Jesus calls a child into their midst and says, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a ton of overlap between these passages, but they're not the same. And let me try to explain what I mean by that. He spoke of, deci- of little ones who believe in chapter 18. Remember that? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. That's, he's talking about Christians there, talking about believers. Uh, verse number 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's talking about little ones who believe in him. And, and we know that because not only of the verses I read, but if you look at verse Three, it says, unless you are converted and become as little children. So he's talking about people being converted and having a likeness to a child. We 
spent much time on that, but we're going to spend some more because the Lord saw fit to put it in here again for us, but in a different, a much different way. So he's, by saying this, so he just spoke of disciples being converted and becoming like little children to enter the kingdom. So he speaks of the humility and repentance that is necessary as expressions of faith that characterize those who are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. As for the contrast with where we're at now in chapter 19, where Jesus was talking about believers being like little children in 18, now he's speaking directly, literally about actual kids, if I can put it that way, so we don't confuse ourselves. We'll use kids there. But he's making a similar analogy as he did uh, earlier in the you know, in chapter 18. So parents brought their kids to the Lord so that he could lay hands on them and pray. Now, when you think of children or kids, what immediately comes to mind in your, in your mental image of that? What kind of children are we talking about? What age are we talking about? Seven years old, ten years old, twelve years old, four years old. What? Well, let's let's look at this. It's interesting, and in, in, um, just listen to this parallel passage. Don't have to turn there. Just listen and engage the the gears of your mind there. And Luke eighteen says, verse fifteen. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. The word used here is brephos, which is the word often used for babies. Inside and outside of the womb. In Luke chapter 1, when Mary came to see Elizabeth, what happened? The brephos leapt in her womb. And in Luke chapter 2, the angels told the um, shepherds, go and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. A born baby, brephos, the same word. The author in both examples that I just gave is, the human author is whom? Luke 1 and Luke 2, Luke is what? He's a physician, and he uses that word both before and after the birth of a child. We can also see in Acts 7.19 when Stephen is referring to the story, the, the history of Israelites in Egypt, and they were commanded to expose their infants so that they would die. Remember that? All the male children are supposed to, to die. The brephos, the brephoi, the, the, the babies. Uh, Paul tells Timothy that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, that is from the infancy of your life, or as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Obviously, the word can refer to what we might call in English a fetus as well as to a newborn. Frankly, I wish we didn't even have the word fetus. It ought to be just baby and baby, just like it is here in the Bible. Uh, 
So the, the use of this term biases me to think on the earlier side of that age range, not necessarily 12-year-olds. By the way, 12-year-olds, boys at least, would be, have gone through bar mitzvah. They would be expected to be acting with the maturity of a young man in the church, and if, in, the, in the synagogue, sorry. Um, so you know, they're well on their way to adulthood by that age. I mean, look at our 13-year-old. He's a young man, and he ought to behave like a young man. Yeah, now John Snowberger is looking at Daniel and doing what I said, look at him. I don't think he really wanted you to take that literally, but thank you. Uh, so, uh, you know, you might be talking about six-month-old babies, two-year-old toddlers, three- or four-year-old children that are being brought to Jesus. This also biases me to say that the people who brought them were most likely their parents or grandparents. But, I mean, you're not going to let your four-year-old run around, you know, the Judean wilderness, well, you know, on the other side of the Jordan or whatever, uh, without parental, uh, you know, oversight pretty, pretty, you know, closely. So, uh, at least that's how I look at it in our day and age. Um, Probably their parents... Um, and so the children did not likely bring themselves to Jesus. It was likely their parents, since the small children were very like them. And this, in some ways, could be likened to a baby dedication, which, by the way, we haven't had in a while one of those baby dedications here. We could do that. Anybody that's had a new baby, hint, hint. Uh, we could, uh, if you wish to do that, we can do that. Some parents don't like to do that. Others do. Um, We could probably say something like this. The parents in this incident in Matthew 19 wanted the blessing of the Lord on their children. They knew at least this much that Jesus was a very special rabbi. At least they knew that. Uh, And maybe some of them understood more than that, like Peter did. I mean, who works miracles like this man? You know, we know that you're come from God, Nicodemus said, because nobody could do the signs that you do unless they had come from God. Who would not want this perfect man to bless their children? You know, I mean, I'll just tell you, if, if I were there, I'd be first in line. You bet you, you know. Uh, any kind of closeness I can get to the Lord uh, to, or for my children, uh, sign me up. Now, some of the parents may have been religiously superstitious, you know, touch him, touch my little child, and he'll have a long life or something like that. But others were likely expressing faith-filled appreciation for the Lord and hoping that he would do or say something for their children. Maybe that something was unspoken, just a prayer in their mind that they wanted their child to grow up to love God with all of their heart. Would you touch him, Lord, And the Lord would know the prayer that was on their mind already before they even spoke it, or maybe they didn't say it at all. Perhaps the Lord blessed them toward that prayer request. We do not know because the text doesn't tell us. It would be probably uh, educational, sanctifying, enjoyable to stop and think about that if you were to take, you know, your four little ones, JL, to uh, the Lord. What would you want for them? And uh, that's a wonderful thing to think about. But this is not the point of the passage. What is the point is the contrast between the disciples' response and the Lord's response to the children for the reason that it was the children are like children of the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples rebuked the parents. Uh, 
They saw the children as a distraction, as an eruption, as unnecessary or as unimportant. Can you imagine the scene? Here's Jesus teaching. Parents are bringing their kids, several of them, many of them. The disciples are trying to shoo them away. Confusion, stressful. And the Lord wants to see the kids. Um, people tell different stories that are like this. I mean, like, uh, you know, if, my, if, my, if I'm the pastor of the church and there's a couple of men in my office and I have a, you know, a three- or four-year-old little lad in my family who has to come and see dad for some reason, I'm not going to turn him away. We'll deal with that situation and not treat him like he's just a nuisance. Um, the parents are hopeful. The children are bewildered. The disciples are telling them to go away, and the Lord himself wants to see these children. In our life, if something like that happened, if you imagine yourself in the Lord's position, it would be easy for us to rebuke the disciples just as hard as they were rebuking the parents, if not more harshly, because they deserve it. They're being dummies. But the text tells us what? The Lord simply responded, look at verse 14, but Jesus said, let the children come. Can you imagine without yelling, without being frustrated, without being upset sinfully, the rebuke that that is to the, to the, to the disciples? Let the children come, and they'd be like, oops, I'll disappear now. <laughs> uh, evidently, he was giving them this instruction in a kind and gentle way, which is a good example for me and for you. I'm sure he was quite firm about it. Don't, 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 you can't turn them away. Bring them. He wanted to see the children. Any expression that people made to want to be close to Jesus was something that Jesus could not turn away. Can you imagine? He cannot turn away those who want to come to him. So why would his disciples want to turn them away? Why do you want to turn people away if they want to come to the Lord? You know, if you're having a Bible study and you, you, you've planned and you've practiced and you've, you're going to teach on this subject and then you have three or four unbelievers come in and they want to know, how do I get saved? Dump your lesson plan, friend. You've got a new lesson plan. All right, that's exactly right. So um, what, 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 what happens next? Well, so Jesus says, let them come. The Lord corrects the disciples very directly, says what he means, both positively and negatively. Positively, let them come. Negatively, do not forbid them. And then he gives the reason. Because of ones like these is the kingdom of of heaven. So he hearkens back to the believers who are like little ones in 18, chapter 18. And why is that? For of such is the kingdom of heaven. There's a likeness here. What's the likeness? Well, that's why we are called children of God, because we're kids of our heavenly Father. There's a kind of innocence in a child, a dependency, a helplessness that is inherent in small children, and these same characteristics mark a believer in his walk with God. Are you innocent? Relatively so. Dependent? Absolutely. Helpless compared to your father? Yeah. You know, when, when we're in the prime of life and strong and we're moving, you know, we think we're something. Maybe it takes sickness. Maybe it takes terminal illness. 
when you're laid flat on your deathbed and you realize, I am not as helpful, <laughs> I'm helpless as I thought that I was. So these characteristics mark our relationship with God. The Lord Jesus wants to highlight these qualities as over against the hard-heartedness, superiority, self-sufficiency of sinful adults who are opposing his ministry. Compare the dependency and helplessness and neediness of a child to the haughtiness of a Pharisee who is testing the Lord about questions about divorce and, you know, all these sorts of things. The disciples were unwittingly being like those hard-hearted sinful adults by refusing the children to come. Children are not an interruption to life or ministry. Bearing and raising children takes work, sacrifices, finances, sweat, pain, painful emotions. Churches should not see children as rug rats or messy or inconvenient or whatever. They are our closest mission field. I heard of a pastor once who did not like children years ago. I wondered how he could be a genuine servant of the Lord. Perhaps, perhaps he was but needed a major attitude adjustment from Jesus on the matter. Maybe he was like one of the disciples who said, no, I can't deal with that. The Lord did lay his hands on the children, it says. He laid his hands on them, verse number 15. Undoubtedly, he said some kind words to them as well, some words of blessing from heaven that only he could say. Matthew 10, 16 says, and he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. God bless this child in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, Give this child a life not of rebellion, but of submission to you, a life of saving faith and so on. Did, was there some mystical benefit to these words? I don't believe so. As long as they followed the Lord and took heed to the words that he spoke to them, that and the blessing that comes with that would be the benefits to them. Let me illustrate it. If he, the parents are there, this child may be too young to even remember, even if they're four or five. When they grow up into their teen years, their parents could recount to them, we took you to, to the rabbi Jesus, who turns out to have been the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he laid his hands on you and blessed you. And when he did that, he said this to you, like the book that you get at the bookstore, at the book signing that's signed by the author. And you're like, wow, this is super special. You know, it's going to be a collector's edition and all that. He, they had the signature of Jesus on them. And these are the words that he said to you, son or daughter, and if you follow the Lord, you will have his blessing in your life. We don't need to have a special touch from the Lord to have that same thing. If you follow this word, then you will have that blessing of God in your life as well. We believe that the children are probably too small to exercise faith. If they were brephos, babies, infants, then they would not have been able to exercise faith And what? The Lord blessed them anyway. Did you notice that? He blessed them. Now, let me give a word about the innocence of children. They are, children are, sinners just like everyone else. They know how to lie, cheat, steal, and talk back to authority. And they do it. They put it to practice, that somehow innate knowledge. They are sinners by imputation from Adam, by nature, and by behavior. 
So we can rightly say that whenever a child is brought into the world, another sinner has entered into the realm. But relatively speaking, relatively speaking, children are innocent of great transgression. Jeremiah 19, verse number 4, talks about, which I've applied to abortion before, but it talks about the sacrifice of children to the gods like Molech and Chemosh, and he says to them that you are guilty of the slaughter of the innocents, those who are innocent. So God himself says this. On good grounds, then, we can speak of the relative innocence of children. They are naive, children are, to the sinful ways of the world. It is when their friends or older people introduce them to this or that evil practice that they become much more sinful. How many times have you heard the testimony of a young person who says, so-and-so introduced me to this or that or something else, and then that began the life of my teenage years into drugs and bad literature and whatever their particular sin was, and then they're launched off into that until God gets a hold of them at some later point in their life. If only. We're not going to make perfect people, but can you imagine kids living in in a kind of secluded, morally secluded, not secluded isolationist, but morally secluded society, they would probably turn out a little bit better than some of the average bears that we see out there today and all the garbage that is being pumped into their minds as by an IV into the arm. The fact that the children are used as a pattern for believers indicates support for how most of us understand Scripture to teach that the youngest among us who die, who are unable to exercise faith, are graciously regenerated by God's sovereign grace. By the way, that's just like every other case of regeneration. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean that you uh, got regenerated because you're so much better than a child so much smarter than a child. No, God graciously regenerated you also. God chooses to do that with adults and I believe with infants who die in infancy. I have no age or anything like that. It does not seem in accord with God's gracious character to dump millions of infants into an eternity apart from Christ. It's his choice. He's the sovereign God, his business. But we are doing what the, I'm doing the best that I can with the text of Scripture to indicate. These are living human beings from conception and do receive God's caring attention just as we should do toward them. If this attitude in Christ reflects the attitude of God the Father, which I believe it does, then it would seem out of, out of accord with this teaching for God to just dismiss all the little ones who have been victimized by the hard-hearted sinfulness of adults who have either murdered them out of the womb or sacrificed them in child sacrifice or let them be exposed out in the wilderness just to get rid of them over the course of centuries, millennia, as these sins have been occurring. God's attitude towards children is totally different than that of the world. Now, I often forget to mention this when when I explain this as well. People who are incapable of faith are also must also be incapable to express voluntary unbelief. In other words, they cannot either express belief in God nor rejection of God. But if you have a young person who is able to express unbelief, 
then it's, it's lights out, game over. There's no free pass. You know what I'm saying? You have a young person who says, I don't believe in God. Well, then they have the capacity to understand, I do believe in God. And so they've already passed that age of accountability for them, whatever that is. So both on the side of the incapability. And I think there are some people who are older than infants who are extremely mentally or profoundly, what can I say, um, mentally um, impaired, who are unable to, to, do, to do that. Now, their relative innocence does not demand God's grace. God's grace is unmerited, isn't it? <laughs> By definition, it's unmerited favor. So just because they're little and cute little sinners doesn't mean that they deserve some special, you know, treatment by God. That's not the case. But the relative innocence does help us understand God's disposition like he has toward those who are fatherless or weak or mentally incapable of deciding the gospel. You know, you better not mess with orphans, my friend. God hates that with a passion. Their extreme youth, these little ones, and incapability also demonstrate to us just how needy we are for God's gracious salvation. As, as, as destitute and as unable as a child is compared to a fully functioning adult, so is the fully functioning adult less capable and need before the infinite and holy God. We need to see ourselves in that humble position. You know, we think when we were 25 or 35 or 45 and we're hot stuff, we're, we've arrived. We're nothing. We are nothing. We need to recognize that and be humble before God. Put aside our self-sufficiency to humbly receive God's grace. There's another passage that we use on that subject, by the way, of infants being saved, regenerated. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, 23, you're familiar with that. David says, I can't bring him back to me, the child who died, but I shall go to him. Um, God doesn't have to do that, but we understand from these passages that he does do so. That's That's my understanding anyway. But note that he only does so through regeneration. Unless a person is born again, he cannot participate in the kingdom of God. That's absolute. Absolute. Well, the Lord left that location and went to another place to continue his ministry, but what are we left with? Well, we're left with the question of how to apply this text. We intuitively understand that we must care deeply for our young people. The church and its individuals in the church must minister to little ones. The society at large and its laws must protect little kids from all harms. Yet today we do not protect, but rather expose our young ones to dangerous and immoral ideas. We do not teach them religious instruction and thus by omission make them think that religion is unimportant or irrelevant. We're going to bear the judgment for that before God. But again, and more importantly, we're reminded that kingdom citizenry is not open to people who think they're so great and important. It's only open to those who are humble and dependent and little in their own eyes. When you were little in your own eyes, you did well. But when you became grand in your own eyes and you became have haughty thinking, then you entered into dangerous territory. And uh, so we bring that to your attention tonight. Just these three verses, for of such is the kingdom 
of heaven. It must be important because it happened both in chapter 18 and chapter 19 with different nuances as we've tried to bring out. But let's take that and chew on it for a while. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that simple faith, dependency upon you is all that is required of a person to give good evidence of saving saving relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to treat the children that way, the way that you did. Bring them to us, Lord. Don't push them away. And we'll thank you. Bring them to us at Vacation Bible School, Lord, if no one else cares for their soul. As the psalmist said, I think in 142, he looked on the right hand and on the left and saw that no one cared for his soul. But Lord, never that may be said of Fellowship Bible Church that people would be able to find a place where someone cares for their soul here. And may that be the case for the children, for the art fair participants or or, uh, attendants there in July next month and uh, any other opportunity that we have, even our own children, young to uh, old. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I hope that I've exposed the word clearly to you tonight. I feel there's a lot there and more could be said, but... Yeah, we praise the Lord for that. Those of you that are online, thank you for participating tonight. Uh, I hope that uh, the Brattons are there and uh, for Dee Dee that you're watching and perhaps Al, our friend Al and Pam, and uh, who else might be out there watching? Oh, whoever in the future after this uh, Wednesday evening. God bless you. Amen. Good night.